Player One special. We are Nick, Jacob, and Dem, and today we are joined by Australian writer, broadcaster, academic, and multi-award-winning composer Dan Golding. Oh my God! How are you, Dan? Ah, uh, I'm good. Uh, what, what, what a what a what an introduction. Yeah, no, it's um so so good to be here with you all. Um, yeah, um, good it's to chat. To be with you. We're, we're very excited about this. We are incredibly oh, excited. Because most of our listeners would probably know Dan's work from Untitled Goose Game, which is made and published here in Melbourne. So how did you get involved with the game? Well, um, I knew the um, the people at House House. There's uh, four of them uh, who were all friends. Uh, they decided to kind of make a video game together um, in, uh, I, I suppose, maybe around 2013, 2014. They started to make a game called Push Me Pull You. Uh, which, uh, if you don't know the game, it's a local multiplayer um, game, kind of like Sports Friends. If you if you've ever played Sports Friends, or um, uh, kind of like Indie Mario Party, you know, like a, a game that's designed for everybody to be in the same room yelling at each other to try and, you know, like, just go over there, just do that. Like, that's the vibe <laughs> of the game, right? Um, and um, so they made Push Me Pull You, uh, and uh, I was running a, a games festival here in Melbourne called Free Play. And at the time, we uh, were running an event in Fed Square where we turned Fed Square into a big lounge room. Uh, we literally carried in a couch that I bought off, uh, you know, the internet, um, and, uh, you know, like a, like a, like a lamp as well, uh, and connected, uh, some games consoles to the big screen in Fed Square. Um, and we played locally made games and one of them was Push Me Pull You. And as you can probably imagine by that kind of event, um, there's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of waiting, a lot of kind of like, ah, oh, so what are you up to? You know? Um, and so I got to chatting to the makers and was just kind of like, what, what, what do you think you'll do for, for music? Um, and they had a few ideas and I had a few ideas just because I, you know, I'd uh, been a musician in high school and uni and stuff like that. And I was sort of like, oh, actually, I think I could do something like that. Um, and that's how I got into making music for games. Um, and then their second game was Untitled Goose Game. Uh, they came back to me and said, um, yeah, can we can we work with you to make some music for this game? Um, and that, that's it. <laughs> amazing we truly love the music in goose game as well it's quite reactive in nature um and we were wondering what your key influences for the soundtrack were we've heard debussy came into it maybe yeah a little bit De of reactive music from cinema yeah yeah absolutely spot on i mean debussy i mean as as uh you know possibly the the worst pun in the history of the universe I, you know it just seems irresistible not to call him debussy for the purposes of this game but <laughs> Uh, I mean, his music is um, is actually it forms the basis of the soundtrack on Claude Debussy. He was a like a impressionist composer, though he he would have hated that label. But look, he was uh, impressionist composer from around the turn of the twentieth century, um, and he wrote a bunch of piano preludes 
uh, among other things. Um, he, he was probably his most famous piece is Claire de Lune, which is used in everything from like Westworld to like the Godzilla trailer. Not, not I love that recently, track. But yeah, it's, it's great. Um, Did not know that. Well, wow. there you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, same, same guy. Uh, and he, he wrote a bunch of piano preludes and, uh, you know, um, the, the original idea was to just pop one on the gardener's radio. If you've played the game, the gardener has a radio that you as a goose yeah. turn on much to his frustration. <laughs> um, and, uh, the idea was that it would be a bit of Debussy that would be playing through the radio. Uh, and so house house was kind of like, Hey Dan, do you reckon you can do a recording of this that we can use? Um, cause you know, the, the piece of music is in the public domain, but most recordings aren't. Um, and so I made a performance of that. Um, they chucked it in the, tra- uh, the trailer for the first game as music that was, uh, uh, yeah, the first trailer uh, rather, um, as music that was coming out of the radio, but the trailer was so well edited by Jake Strasser, who works at House House. Um, he actually did a degree, a filmmaking degree. Um, it was so well edited that you had all these people in the comments on YouTube saying, ah, oh, I can't believe the music reacts to what you're doing in the game as the goose. Um, I can't wait for this to happen uh, when I'm playing it. And we were all just kind of like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how to make this work <laughs> um, but it became so clear that you know this trailer really just I think uh, made people think that that was you know I mean it was so obvious that that's how it had to happen and so you know I remember we all just kind of had a meeting and we we're like well I guess we figure out how dynamic music works in games now um, and so yeah but you know the the ultimate goal I mean you mentioned them before um silent cinema or cinema yeah there was that influence because we kind of throughout this whole process our goal was to imagine that you were playing the game and there was a pianist sitting over your shoulder like there would be back in 1920 um, in a big picture palace a pianist watching what's happening on screen and kind of commenting live on the action and that's what we wanted to do with the game Um, and you know it was so gratifying at the end of this really technical um, process of trying to get the music to work like that, that all these reviews started coming in and that people were like, oh, it's like a Charlie Chaplin film. It's like a Buster Keaton film. And we were all just sort of like, yes, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can totally imagine that while playing it, it's so calming as like the, the, the music kind of perks up as you go. And they're like, well, it's less calming. It's like calming. And then it's like, oh no, then something's happening. Yeah. And it really does build the mood real nice. I, um, I quite enjoy that part of the, the game myself. Yeah. Um, it's actually really cool to hear that that was like a big influence. I'm a bit of a cinema buff and that's so cool. Awesome. <laughs> it's also quite rewarding as well. I will say. Yeah, absolutely. Like little, uh, you know, what's this sound going to be next for doing this? Or what's this sound going to be for doing this? It's incredible. What's the sound annoying. when you harass this child in this video game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It, it is so funny as well because I think, you know, there's this real like, um, high culture energy around classical music and and piano preludes and then to kind of well firstly put it into a game but you know a game that's so kind of like slapstick and humorous the the comedy sort of makes itself um 
I mean, I did a bit of arranging of Debussy's music for the game, like changed a few notes here and there or changed like the, the, the notes to be lower or higher depending on, on what you're doing in the game. But it is still essentially his music. And so I think it's really the comedy comes in that kind of like juxtaposition, that unexpected um, combination of, 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 yeah, being, being an annoying goose locking a poor poor defenseless boy in a phone booth you know while this this sort of you know um more like elite culture music plays in the background it's it's this great combination yeah it's um i thought it was almost um almost full circle because it is very much like old cinema you know the piano as you said um it's very full circle as if like you know we started with quite uh with, with really diegetic sounds and now we're all the way back to sounds that are imposed and, and they can be changed and stuff. And it's, I think that's really, really fun way of um, referencing older stuff as well. It's really cool. Yeah, Do you yeah. think, oh, sorry, go ahead. N- not at all. I, I mean, all <laughs> I was going to say is that, yeah. And like both video games and cinema did use classical pieces very early on in their kind of life cycle of, of using music um, when films first started up, you know, it took a little while for original scores to become like original music to be the norm. It was really for the first 10 or 20 years, it was a lot more like, well, we'll get the, the great hits of the classical world and, and apply them to, to, to film. And the same kind of happened with video games. Uh, you know, I'm talking about like the seventies and the eighties is that, you know, you had like your, your, your PC games that were kind of essentially homebrew that were made um, by, by coders in their basement. You know, they didn't necessarily go, well, now I have to commission a composer to write an original score. They were more like, oh, we'll chuck in a bit of, I don't know, um, in the Hall of the Mountain King, you know, Grieg or, or Beethoven or whatever, like, because that's just around and like, it's probably copyright free. Not always, as it turns out. But, you know, the assumptions there and that kind of, I think, you know, it's this shared interesting link between between video games and cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to ask you, and I feel like you've totally articulated the answer to it, but if you feel like you have anything else to, uh, to bring to it, like, do you see this becoming a trend in the future? Do you see it, or do you think it's already been there for so long, this adaptive kind of music, but also this imposed soundtrack? Yeah. Look, I think, I mean, I'd love to see more games using classical music. Um, you know, like we've got such a great repertoire there and I, I think Goose, if anything, proves that it can kind of be adapted, but you know, I, I think what's different about Goose Game as opposed to previous um, uses of classical music or <clears throat> really previous uses of any music in games is that the kind of granularity um, of the music, um, the music's dynamicness, if that makes sense. So to give you an example, right, like often dynamic music in games will be like a like a, a minute of music that just loops around and around and around and around. And when the game state changes so like you go from one you go to the next village then that one minute loop changes to a different one minute loop or it might crossfade or maybe you start a combat sequence and it shifts from the wandering around one minute loop to a combat one minute wandering around loop right but what we did with goose game was you know getting these this pre-existing piece of music and 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 chopping it up to the degree where it would shift energy. So I recorded a really high energy version and a really low energy version. And so getting the game to switch between the two really rapidly, that was part of, I think, um, the music system's success because 
usually you'd chop up a piece of music. Like I, I went into it initially as kind of like with my, with my academic sort of, you know, brain on going, Oh, well, you can't split across a phrase. Right. So you, I would do it as you did in sheet music. So it'd be like six seconds, eight seconds for these phrases. So, but what that meant was when the player, when the goose started behaving badly in the game, you'd have to wait six seconds for that track the low energy track to then turn into the high energy track. If this makes sense, I know this is a lot of technical information, but six seconds is a long time in a game. Yeah. You kind of, you know, as a player, you kind of immediately feel, oh, uh, the music's taking a long time to catch up with what's happening in the game. The energy feels weird. And so what we ended up doing in the end was, was, was chopping up these pieces of music, these different performances into mostly um, milliseconds like like it, it you know i think oh, wow some, some some of the longest um you know little snippets are like 600 milliseconds right like this is not long <laughs> at all which is where the game gets its kind of sense of reactivity the the fact that the music seems to turn on a on a dime to use that yeah expression. no mm. that's incredible so, so yeah i mean i did the calculations once because like even in the first prelude which is like two and a half minutes long there's like um, about 360 different um, snippets of that two and a half minute piece of music, which means I got some maths people to do this for me because I'm not a maths person. But it means that theoretically there's um, the number of possible different performances because it's all algorithmically selected is a number with 52 zeros at the end. Um, of this piece of music, which doesn't have a name. Like it's not, I mean, what are those really big numbers like Googleplex or whatever? Like it's more than that, <laughs> more than billions and billions and billions. And I also got them to figure out, and this is totally ridiculous, that if you could go back, this this totally sounds like bragging, but if you could go back to the Big Bang and set up Untitled Goose Game to play a different version of the just the first prelude, um, every second today we'd be about a quarter of the way through oh my god <laughs> well <laughs> humble brags so, yeah um, yeah my music's longer than the entire world just so yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah oh it's it's uh it's totally it's totally really i mean it's just you know for for all practical purposes it's infinite right yeah it's amazing no i i, I would never have guessed that was how you did it that's incredible mm. um I, but, that just comes oh, from not understanding how to do dynamic music, you know. <laughs> I think it's just like, ah, hey, this is our best guess. Like, good shot, yeah. One of the best things about doing things on the fly, I find, is they work out to be so much cooler in the end because it's like, look at that. How cool is that? I know it's not the way you're meant to do it, but hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super cool. But, of course, you haven't only done Goose Game, have you? You've done other games. And we hear that the Frog Detective was one that you quite enjoyed making yourself. Can you tell us something about the Frog Detective? Yeah, yeah. So there's two games in the Frog Detective series. Um, the Haunted Island is the name of the first one, and The Case of the Invisible Wizard is the second one. Ooh. They're sort of like sort of point-and-click style, but they're, they're basically humour games. And I sort of realised not too long ago that actually the thing that unites all of the games that I've done music for is humour. Like, 
Goose is obviously really funny. Frog is definitely uh, a, a humor game. You might think that the other theme here is animals, but Push Me Pull You um, <laughs> is, although it does actually, Push Me Pull You has a secret dog mode. So, um, but you know, that, that game Boy. is also, yeah, um, is also, you know, very much about humor. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed working on the Frog Detective games. They're very funny. They're sort of, you know, the brief that I was given um, by the game's creator, Grace Bruxner was, um, Grace Bruxner, sorry, was that, um, you know, what if Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's great detective, what if he was a frog? And to me, I was sort of like, yeah, I think I can write that music. I, I, I know exactly what you mean and I love it and I'm going to give it a shot. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, sort of went from there. There's a lot of kind of like film noir stuff, but, um, you know, the thing that I also really love about that game and that game series is that even though it's a, it's a kind of detective series and it's a, it's a comedic series, I decided early on that the music would be funniest if it was clear that it wasn't in on the joke, um, that the music takes this kind of detective very seriously. Um, so I've tried as hard as I can to, to make it so that, you know, um, the, the, the player is kind of laughing at the scenario, at the setup, rather than because I've made particularly, you know, funny music or anything like that. I think I think once you start really going for jokes in music, it, it doesn't really, it's not as funny anymore. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I really like that series. And the, the third one, I think, should be coming out late this year. We'll see. <laughs> oh, super exciting. Actually, I'm going to check them out. Love's a good point-and-click moment. Very nice. Um <laughs> Beyond the video gaming world, you've obviously made big waves there, but you're also extremely well written in many other topics, including cinema. We would love to know what your true love is on all the fields you've covered. Uh, that's such a good question because, yeah, I mean, you know, you heard at the, the start of our chat, I kind of fell into writing music for games. You know, it was really just I was doing other stuff and, and had a had the right conversation at the right time, I guess. And so for me, it still feels like I'm kind of an accidental games composer. Um, like it doesn't really feel like it's a real part of what I do um, because my day job, um, you know, that the thing that, that I do every single day is um, I'm an academic. I, I work at Swinburne University. I teach cinema. I teach media uh, and I teach games where I can. Um, and I research and I write. Um, I've written a book about the new Star Wars films, um, I, you know, and I, I also... Um, you know, film music is my particular kind of area of interest as well as a researcher um, and as a writer as well. So it's, it's sort of all over the place. And I don't I don't know, Dem, if I can actually give you an answer to that question because I just, I love it all. of stuff. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know what? I was so proud of myself. Um, I think it was, oh gosh, when was it? It was late last year when I gave a academic talk uh, on silent film music and submitted a um, academic journal article on silent film music. And both of them were about how that related to Untitled Goose Game. And in the same week, I did a radio show about silent film music. And I was like, look, I finally did it. Academic work, 
broadcasting, creative work, all finally on the same topic, and it'll probably never happen again. But you know, <laughs> it's kind of um, my my one moment where I was like, see, all these things do have something to do with each other. <laughs> So nice when all the worlds collide into one beautiful amorphous blob of wonderment. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's my fun. that's my career. That's my life and career. A blob of wonderment. I'll I'll use that term in future. Yeah. Yeah, subtitled. Uh, yeah, yeah, just need a little bit of attribution at the bottom of the web page for that one. Though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to please sure to credit you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we. We, we have been looking through all of your articles and we were like, wow, this guy has written so much stuff. Um, we were just truly really, like amazed by it actually. Um, we definitely were. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was one of those things where we were like, he's written so, uh, he's done all this music. We didn't think this was a, this was a writer. This was a, uh, a broadcaster. All these Gets things. to write Incredible. a book on Star Wars. Yeah. yeah still feels like kind of i don't know uh halfway between kind of like a like a weird joke that i'm still waiting to like you know wake up from the dream but also like kind of this weird like yeah i want i want that that you know sort of life gamble <laughs> <laughs> the gamble of life i love that yeah. the, the book can you tell us a bit more about um what you really looked into with that yeah, absolutely. So the book came out in 2019 uh, on May the 4th, of course. Is there any other day to launch a book about Beautiful. Star Wars than exactly? Uh, and it, it's 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 notionally an academic book, but it's written in a in a in a sort of you know uh, accessible way. You know, there's no no super huge footnotes or anything or big theories you need to to get through. But it's basically. Um, I mean, it's called Star Wars After Lucas. It's about what happened when George Lucas sold. Lucasfilm and sold Star Wars uh, to Disney um, and sort of how Disney uh, or Disney-owned Lucasfilm went about reviving the Star Wars brand because, you know, in the 20th century, in the certainly the second half of the 20th century, Star Wars was probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest cultural force um, to come out of Hollywood, certainly changed the film industry, changed merchandising, changed a lot of things, theme parks as well. Um, and it will change film music just to, to get my other love in there. Uh, but, you know, uh, so, but it, it kind of, you know, especially after the prequel trilogy, of course, there are many people now who, who kind of ironically or unironically love the prequel trilogy and it's kind of been revived a little bit. Um, hello, Dan, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, you're supposed to say hello there, right? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, like, the, I think especially when, like, in 2012, when George Lucas sold Lucasfilm, there was still, like, that was a very different time. There was still that kind of lingering bad aftertaste from a lot of the fan reaction to the prequels. Um, and so it's quite interesting how, to me, how Disney revived the brand on the one hand but also turned it into i mean why the internet magazine called star wars the forever franchise um which is is kind of what i think disney hoped and still hopes that it will be that like mm. none of us will live to see the last star wars film you know i think that's their their kind of hope and so to um 
to to yeah i you know that's that's what the book does that's what the book is kind of you know a cultural history of this recent era of star wars and 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 what happened and what happened with fans and what the movies kind of did um for better or worse incredible no oh my goodness that's one of the things that i think a lot of people do wonder like what is the different because they feel different all the all the sets of trilogies do feel very different even even lucas arts i mean i'm pretty sure i don't know if that's been also bought by disney but like lucas arts their gaming development it seems a bit different as well nowadays yeah, that's right. Yeah, so LucasArts was included in the Lucasfilm sale. Um, so pretty much everything Lucasfilm, so including Indiana Jones, um, although uh, I think <clears throat> uh, Paramount still owns the distribution rights to them, which is why you don't see them on uh, Disney Plus yet, but I'm sure you eventually will. Um, uh, Willow um, and, yeah, LucasArts, the games. Um, now, LucasArts had a name change for a while, um, and they've recently yes. sort of been changed back to, I think, Lucasfilm Games, which to me is quite funny to have film games in the title, Lucasfilm Games. games. <laughs> um like, but, are they just uh, one long cut scene what's the deal yeah, yeah well i mean you know that that was the amazing thing about lucas arts in the 80s is you know with all those games um those adventure games that they did like the dig um uh, uh secret of monkey island um they were really pushing the envelope in terms of storytelling in games mm. Um, and so, you know, uh, yeah, it's super cool to see that brand revived because there was a while where they essentially just started to outsource Star Wars games to other companies. I'd love to see them starting to make original games as well, because, you know, there was, there was a real period where they, they changed video games. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they can do it. Yeah. Again. It's interesting, isn't it? They both, they they defined uh, pop culture through film and then they defined it through video games. And in yeah. both cases, they sort of, I don't know, I don't know if they petered off into their own world mm. they'd created, but it's very interesting how they now sit and live. Oh, we have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, George Lucas as an individual, you know, always wanted to work outside of the studio system in Hollywood. He was an incredibly creative, ambitious, rebellious figure, especially in the early 1970s. He was mentored by um, Francis Ford Coppola, who uh, directed The Godfather. They had a um, production company together called American Zoetrope. And unfortunately, George Lucas's first feature film that he directed, THX 1138, um, pretty much bankrupted Zoetrope. Um, but their plans before then was to set up a basically like a director's commune outside of Hollywood where people could come and make the movies that they wanted to make that was a result of their personal expression rather than just what the studio system wanted. And it's, it's you know, one of history's great ironies that, of course, Star Wars ended up shoring up the studio system um, in such a huge way. And George Lucas has likened himself on more than one occasion to Darth Vader um, in the impact that he's had on, on the film industry kind of inadvertently. But what ended up happening was Lucas set up, um, uh, you know, not the commune that he eventually, that he originally hoped, but um, Lucas Ranch, which is where Lucasfilm was based. It's where Lucas Arts was based all outside of central Hollywood. They were in like Marin, Marin County in California. So still close to Hollywood, but not there. It's, it's like, it's, it is a ranch. It's a farm. So, you know, I think even from the beginning, I mean, he, he always wanted to step outside the box. He wanted to make 
I mean, Star Wars um, was one of his. Uh, I'm really digressing. Sorry, Star Wars <laughs> was was he was he was basically going to make a, a trilogy of films about Vietnam. His first was at the Vietnam War. That is, sorry, his first was Apocalypse. Uh, sorry, was um, American Graffiti, um, which was like America before Vietnam War. Then Star Wars was supposed to be originally an allegory, believe it or not, for a small band of freedom fighters taking on an intergalactic empire, right? The metaphor is still kind of there. Um, but then he was going to make Apocalypse Now as the the film that was, um, you know, set during the Vietnam War. And he never ended up making that. He handed it off to his mentor, Francis Ford Coppola. Um so yeah you know he was really creatively ambitious and i think for one reason or another he kind of burnt out but um he's such a fascinating yeah exactly such a fascinating person Mm. um well we have talked about so much today and we can only (laughs) be so thankful for listening to all of the amazing things you have to offer the world uh can our listeners find you in any particular place uh, yeah, I mean, um, I guess if they if they want to track down my work, um, my website is just dangolding.com, but I'm also on Twitter, particularly just at dangolding, and you'll find most of the various different stuff that I do there. Um, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> on the back of that as well, uh, sorry to cut you off there, Dan. On the back okay. of that as well, you, you mentioned uh, your book. Um, where can people find uh, said book? Yeah. in case they want to check it out. No, absolutely. Um, so it's um, at most bookstores. Um, I think um, at the moment, uh, because it was released a couple of years ago, uh, it might be um, you probably best off ordering it online. Um, but there, I think there are still a few bricks and mortar bookstores. I think Readings had a few copies. I think Dimmick's had a few copies. But it's still definitely uh, in and around, and you can get ebook versions online too, I think. Amazing. Thank you so much for today, Dan. Uh, for everybody out there. For everybody out there, this has been Dan Golding on Player One. I am Dem. I'm here with Jacob and Nick. We have had a fantastic time talking about all sorts of things. And we'll see you guys next time.